Welcome back to What Do We Know with Harry and Jim. I am Jim Flanagan, joined as always by Harry Rao. Harry, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good, buddy. You, uh, what do you, what does a Harry wear during the uh, quarantine? Are you, uh, <laughs> do you, do you get dressed every day? Are you a sweatpants guy? No, I spend uh, a good chunk of the day in pajamas. Uh, yeah. And then, and yeah, and then after I take a shower, then then I um, like jeans and t-shirt basically. In cardigan, I'm not gonna lie, I sport the. I rock a cardigan over a t-shirt though. It doesn't have to be a button-down. We know, we know there's a casual <laughs> hurry out there who. See, the cardigan is such a versatile item of clothing. Is the thing. James, how are you? <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm great. I'm not nearly as versatile as Hari. I wear the same sleeveless t-shirt every single day, as you guys know. I have 10 of them. Let's let's be honest. They're not the same t-shirt, but it's the exact same kind of t-shirt. Uh, I have a style, and I stick with it. Uh, you put that much time to those guns, show them off. You, you know, know and I'm, I'm showing them to nobody but myself, and that's, that's enough okay. for me. It's a reminder of the hard work. That's right. That's right. I had to uh, I had to make like a, a video for someone today, so I have a tie on. I feel like Larry King right now, interviewing really? a tie. This is yeah. I uh, I just finished up uh, a video a little earlier, and then uh, I didn't change. So, man, it's a lot of videos. A lot of people want want content right now, don't they? It's nice, right? But if you're doing a tie up top, how, what's what's waist down like? Are you in are you in uh, shorts or are you in uh, jeans? I don't think the world needs to hear that part, Harry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, I'm just saying, I feel like in this sort of quarantine wardrobe era, it's like presentable top party below, you know? Yeah, I'm in jeans. Okay. I'm in right. jeans. Don't At least worry. your knees aren't showing. I would never. Sorry. <laughs> right. I'm a professional broadcaster. I would never <laughs> allow my knees to show. How is everybody's weekend going? It is a weekend, despite the fact that it doesn't <laughs> every day feels the same. Is it a weekend, really? <laughs> And a nice one too. Have you guys had a chance to go outside? I uh, I've looked out the window several times today. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm pretty excited. It looks nice out. I'm excited to walk, do a little walking around after this. What about you? You've been out? Yeah, actually, I went to. Uh, I picked up some beers from Peckish Pig. So just a reminder to hey. everybody listening in this area that uh, they are open for business and they are serving up growlers and they are canning beers for takeout. So I picked up some Bliss, the IPA that uh, we know and love so much. Nice. Look at you getting your sponsorship redone in the first segment. <laughs> 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 it's this tie and you doing that and the fact that I'm staring out a window, but I feel like minor league baseball broadcasters. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when you're ready to have a good time, call up the Peckish Pig and order up some Bliss. <laughs> good Lord. I'm drinking no, a mango awesome. smoothie. Are you really? Yeah, yeah, uh, we got we got a new triple at uh, for oh, hell Christmas. Yeah. Those things are all, awesome. Oh man, dude, that's the the second best thing I ever bought. What's, What's the, the first? first? Yeah, <laughs> an auto starter that that I've been mm-hmm. transferring around on all of my cars. The '97 Corolla has an auto starter on it, <laughs> <laughs> and it's. I love the way people look at me when I use an auto starter on that old ass car, which is probably yeah. like the most valuable piece of equipment. <laughs> now, not so much living in the city and parking in a garage, but when I lived in the suburbs, oh man, I, there was nothing better than that thing during the winter in like on a, on a like a sub zero day. If I were uh, on the street and I saw you pointing a fob at a 1997 Corolla <laughs> and hitting the button, I would expect it to explode. I, really would. I would expect it to be like some sort of stunt detonation for a movie. Well, I mean, back in 2002, sure. you know, it wasn't that impractical or, or weird to see somebody starting a 97 with an auto starter. That's, uh, that's a luxury I've never had, and uh, I'm proud of you. That's, uh, that's a nice one. So why is the Nutra, uh, the Nutra Bullet? Is that it? That's yes. That's the second best? Yes. Um, what makes it so great? Because you can, like, unlike a juicer that gets really messy, like, you can just throw anything in it, and it just uh, pulverizes it all. But, yeah, I mean, a banana, avocado, strawberries, almond milk, you've got yourself an amazing drink. I feel like it's cheaper to buy smoothies than to make smoothies. Is that not the case? I don't think so. And the thing is so easy to clean. I think that's one of the major selling points about it is it's just rinse it off, and it's, it's clean. How do you have two sponsorship readings and I have none? I don't understand. 
I would actually love to get somebody on here to talk about Nutribullet. I'm good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an asshole. That'd be oh that'd be great. It'd be it'd be a fun topic to cover. How uh, how so? I'm assuming you're still living your vegetarian lifestyle. I am. I am living a. I'd say a month and a half now. Have you cheated at all? Like this isn't something where you're like once in a while you'll you'll have a burger or anything. No. Uh, the only thing I cheated uh, was because I'm trying to go vegan, oh, and boy. I have like butter, and I feel like. I don't know, like two weeks ago I was like, it's really stupid just to throw this away. So I put some butter on something. <laughs> <laughs> on what? Like a brisket? <laughs> I, what did I put the butter on? I think I put butter on like uh, potatoes or something like that. Okay, so a uh, little peek behind the curtain for future episodes. I believe our next episode we're going to have a vegan on, correct? Mm-hmm. If that's not exciting enough, um, I'm going to... <laughs> Harry's making me attempt to go vegan for a couple of days leading up to... I can't wait. This Is that correct? That is correct. That's going to be tough. On condition that I give you something that you can buy to prepare yourself. Like, like you got to help me. Guy. Yeah, you got to help me plan this out. Does that include, uh, like, is there, is, there, is there vegan booze? Not that I have a problem. I'm just curious. I'm pretty sure, okay, if there's ever a thing I'm cheating on, and, because I thought all booze was vegan. If it's not, then then that's the part that I'm not vegan, because I'm not giving up my beer. Okay, that's definitely, I know there was like a, there was a vegan brewery that did some comedy, a uh, really fun place, actually, and um, so I know that not all beer is vegan, so. Really? You know, I, I feel like yeah. the vegan brewery was more about the food they served than the beer. Maybe. But either way, let's pretend that beer isn't vegan and you just learned that live on the air. <laughs> How does it feel to know that you've been living a lie for the past 63 days? Okay, well, here's, here's the thing I want to say because I'm not, like a lot of, you become vegan for certain reasons, right? Sure. And this isn't all about, like, I don't think that you either need to be, like, all or nothing. And I would never say, like, if, even if a person reduces the amount of meat they eat in a week, they're already doing something huge for their carbon footprint. So, you know, I'm not getting rid of, like, my leather shoots. You know, I already bought them. I mean, maybe I won't buy another, but... Mm-hmm. And let me ask, does this podcast have anything to do with you uh, feeling that way? Once we had uh, Julian talking about, you know, the footprint of animals and everything? No, well, well Julie, I... All right. I mean, well, Julie you didn't have to talking... say no right away. It's our podcast. You could have thrown us a quick plug. <laughs> no, you know what? Tell Actually, us more about I... the Nutribullet. I... <laughs> I will say that, yes, this podcast had had an impact on that decision when we started talking about the environment, starting with Julie, and then when we had Lucia on. I don't know. I just started thinking about more about like what I can do. All right. Well, I guess we're going to learn about that next episode. This uh, episode... <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, I got us off track there. That's on me. Um, this episode, though, we have a uh, we have a great guest. We have uh, Dr. Ellen Wesley is going to be joining us in just a little bit. Uh, she is a residency trained, board certified emergency medicine physician. She'll talk a little bit more about that. But she is on the front lines of COVID. So uh, while we get to sit back here and uh, make jokes and do nothing, she's dealing with this every day. So I think it'll be a pretty cool perspective to hear from a doc who's out there and kind of what all they're running into. I wanted to ask you guys, like, on that note of uh, being health conscious, like, are you guys actively wearing gloves and masks when you go out? Like, how do you guys? Uh, masks for sure. I, I we, me and me and the wife always always mask up before we walk into a jewel or something. But like, only when we're inside. When we're outside, it's game on, dude. Like, we're we're <laughs> normal normal activities. It's it's hard to feel normal and so i'll take like any kind of normalcy i can get if if i can get it you know no gloves though no gloves though i have seen ads for these things though where like it's like a little thing you put on your keychain where you like push buttons with it it's like a little metal poker and so you don't have to touch things with your fingers anymore that's nice um but it's stupid because you can just use your keys instead so don't spend (laughs) money on that uh just Use your keys. But uh, that's something that I have noticed myself doing. Uh, if I have to, like, point something out or touch, like, an elevator button or something, um, I'm using my keys. So I don't have yeah. to wear gloves. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. I'm going mask, but um, after, like, two trips to the grocery store wearing gloves where you have to alter what you're buying based on what you can pick up with gloves. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I'm, like, 90% into the ingredients I need for a recipe, you know? <laughs> 
and then cause you, you can't be the guy who takes off the glove because now you're now you're just the biggest jerk in the store. Yeah. Um. So I uh, I stopped wearing gloves, but I've been uh, I've, I've been mask everywhere I go. That's fun too when you wear glasses because um, oh, yeah. them, <laughs> yeah. no matter what you do, no matter what people. So now you can't see, you can't breathe, and <laughs> you can't touch everything because you have giant mittens on. So it's really fun just walking around basically as a zombie in the stores doing uh, getting nothing done. I think I think they have a uh, a solution for that too called Instacart. So you might want to look into that. <laughs> <laughs> I really thought you had a real solution for my glasses and I was really excited about it. I mean, it. you know, it, it's kind of a real solution if you think about it, you know? Instacart was... now takes like three days, which I get. There's much more important things, but well, I'm a procrastinator, so that that's great for me. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a liquor store, um, and the guy I was asking him some questions about beers and and wines and stuff, and he was using a laser pointer to point things out, which I thought was that's super cool, pretty unique. very yeah. cool. Oh, that's smart. This is kind of weird. So my neighbor noticed. So I live in a 12-story building. And I was in the elevator, and my neighbor, this elderly dude, noticed I wasn't wearing a mask. And then he insisted I take one from him when I when I told him because all I have is that bandana I was wearing that yeah. I've been wearing, and I just didn't have it on me. So he gave me a mask. Now I feel like even if I just go to check my mail, I feel like obligated to wear the thing, like just How in case I like, run into him. Can you walk me through the situation? Because that's absolutely I'm concerned. This is a Seinfeld like, episode, dude. Like you know, like if you get like a old, like an oversized or ugly shirt from one of your relatives, you like never wear it, but you know if they're coming over, you gotta wear the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I was just in the elevator with the. Here's the thing: I've been wearing a bandana around my face because now I get to live my childhood outlaw dream. Sure, so I'm just wearing that. Except I was literally going to have a meeting at Chase Bank, and I was like, okay, maybe I don't not walk in there with a bandana around my face. <laughs> So I came back and I was in the elevator and the guy was with me and he says, he was like, you don't have a mask? And I didn't want to explain the whole bandana scenario. And so I was just like, no. And he said, do you want one? And I said, oh, I couldn't take a mask from you. And he's like, and then he got off and like the eighth floor, he's like, come on. He's an older Indian gentleman. So I know if he's insisting, I better do it. Sure. So every, every older Indian just is uncle and auntie. So it's basically <laughs> like he's family now. So I went to his place, and then he and he was really health, health cautious about that too. He like yeah, stopped. Yeah, let me. you in? I'd be. I would no, never... no, no, no. He even actually like six feet before we got to his door, he was just like, "Okay, hold on here," and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then he went and got this mask, and it was already like packaged up or anything and everything, and uh, and then I just have this mask. Did it feel judgy, or was it really nice and polite? No, no, it was incredibly polite. Like, wow. Yeah, so now I have this thing, and like even if I'm just in the building to check for an Amazon package, I'm like, oh, I better grab the mask in case I run into that guy. <laughs> I'm with James. I think it's when you like, I'll put it on as I'm before I walk into the store, right? I don't think uh, seeing people just driving around in their car with masks on—that's weird, dude. I've seen that a lot. It's like, oh you're, yeah, you're smelling your own, like you're, you, it's your own air. Yeah. Like you, you don't need that. Also, I don't like to stink my mask up with my dirty breath before. Yeah, I get into before the store. you, right? Because you gotta, you gotta live in that. Yeah, it's not uh, pleasant, even with I get gum. it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, now that we <laughs> solved that problem, I am such a grouchy bastard since this whole thing happened. I'm sorry. No, I'd yeah. like to apologize. <laughs> yeah, does anybody have any chill pills for Jim? Well, if anyone would, it's the doctor. So, let's go ahead and... Great. Uh, <laughs> that was perfect. Uh, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. I, what do you guys want to... Harry, what do you want to learn about today? I want to learn a little bit just about her experience on the front lines. What comes to mind from you guys? That the, We got a doctor who will talk to us about this stuff. No copay necessary. Let's ask I'm, some questions. <laughs> I, am, I am very fascinated to hear what it's like to be on the front lines of this because here I am just sitting in my apartment and just doing my day-to-day -day stuff that uh, just involves not interacting with people, but it's a pretty cushy lifestyle all in all. It really is. Like we're making a small sacrifice compared to the people who have to be out there, you know, uh, in front of it every day. James? I want to know if we're doing everything right. 
and how how quickly because it seems like we, Illinois is doing better than a lot of other states with high populations, and I want to know like if 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 that's true and how soon you know we can get get yeah. out there and get back to normal, man. I, I miss little, I miss comedy and I miss seeing all of you, and it's it's too, buddy. It's sad in here, you know. Little prognostication. Let's see where things are headed. Yeah. I like that. All right, then let's do this. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come right back with the doctor. All right, and we are back with our uh, guest expert today, Harry. I feel uh, I feel incredibly lucky. We we always say we use the term expert really loosely on the show, and 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 normally it just means someone who knows more than us. But at this point, we have a we have a real expert on the case here. We have uh, uh, to talk about being on the front lines of COVID. We have uh, Dr. Ellen Wesley here, who's residency trained and board certified emergency medicine physician, and has a public health YouTube channel called Dr. Ellen's best medicine. But Dr. Allen, uh, we'd like to hear it from you. What is your experience in this field? What does make you an expert in talking about being on the front lines of COVID? Well, I am a clinical specialist in emergency medicine. I've been a physician for almost 40 years. And I, in terms of COVID, uh, the particular area of my expertise is in treating the emergencies off the street. So what happens is when people are the most sick, that's when I see them. When the situations are rapidly changing in terms of the community and in individuals, that's when I see them. So as an emergency medicine physician, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's a vantage point, uh, a particularly good vantage point from to see what's affecting communities as a whole. We can see trends, we can see things that are working, things that are not working. Now, I mean, in do, first of all, thank you for your efforts out there and doing this work every day, being on the front lines with these patients. Um, how busy are hospitals here in the Chicago area? Are you, are you working more shifts than before? Are you working about the same? Do you know, this is fascinating, and it speaks to partly the medical industry in our country and partly the weirdness of this particular disease. So what's happened and what we've been seeing, first off, it hits communities in waves. And there are very subtle waves. It's not like you can, you can maybe see them picking up. But what's happened is a combination of things. One is we have people that are afraid to go to the emergency room. So we have had a drop off in volume. Hmm. And sadly, that includes some people that actually need to go to the emergency room. And I say that with tongue-in-cheek because there are a lot of people that come to the emergency room. Sometimes it's out of convenience. Sometimes it's just that they have no other, no other way to get the help. So we've seen a general drop in volume, but an increase in acuity. What that means to us is that the patients are sicker, and that means they need more resources. That means their conditions are changing more rapidly. Wow. For many people, that means a kind of degree of illness that they've never experienced before. So what happened with us in Chicago is that I don't, you know, initially there was certainly a peak of fear and some increase in awareness. But in terms of the overall patient number, you can see that it hits kind of spotty and now it's coming up to a groundswell where it's, it's, I think if you look at the daily not so much number of cases, but the daily the daily number of deaths in an area, in a state, and where those are, that tells you what's going on. And I don't think that for whatever reason, and I wish we understood so far what other than the density of population was doing it in New York, but we haven't hit ours yet. And, and it's becoming. So the past couple of days, I worked Friday um, night, I worked tonight and tomorrow night again, and we are seeing sicker patients. We are seeing a little bit more volume, but I can begin to see, you know, I saw one, two, three, four uh, patients that I was absolutely sure were COVID over the past few weeks that needed respiratory support, that needed to be put on ventilators, that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that astounded me was that the best way, most predictive, reliable way of diagnosing COVID is actually the X-ray or the CAT scan. There's a particular picture that these people show. And, and, and the crazy thing is that's like 90 plus percent accurate. 
-hmm. but the test is only maybe 60%. So that means approximately 40% of positives are missed by a test or now, one of the tests. So, so just to clarify, you don't think that we've hit our peak here in Chicago yet? Nope, I think it's coming and it's beginning now. Now, medical professionals, like, would I imagine, are the most susceptible to catching viruses like COVID. So, is is that a serious problem in the hospital with staff? And how are you guys protecting yourselves? Uh, well, we're using we're using PPE. We're using the you know frequent hand washing. Uh, specific, you know, different. You know, we have two rooms in our my emergency room that are negative pressure rooms. That means they're better for isolation because there's ox the air is sucked out of the room as well. Uh, we're doing the best we can. I mean, the thing like you can see even when you look at, you know, we're paying attention. We wash our hands more frequently. We do the best we can. Remember not to touch our faces. Uh, we when we come home, we you know either change clothes at the hospital or take off our clothes at the front door put them in a bag, take a shower, that kind of stuff, so that, and, and paying attention in terms of the house and going in and out, that kind of stuff. But, you know, the, sadly, you know, there are people that are most at risk, and some of those people that are most at risk being elderly or having long-standing illness of the, illnesses of their own, uh, some are choosing to self-isolate and not go to work, some are still going to work. I, you know, I have people that I work with that I worry about very much and so yeah so that I hope that is clear enough no it does I mean certainly there's such a concern for those frontline workers and, and again what you guys are doing for, so for us to be able to stay home and stay safe is amazing now we hear on our end about a lack of supplies what are you seeing firsthand oh boy well there's definitely you know first off the first thing that that hit me is that the typical masks that we talk about, the typical masks that you see, whether it's the blue uh, rectangular shaped one that is folded or the N95 that you see, they're made of paper. Those things are disposable. Those things were not intended to be used for more than a few hours at most. Mm -hmm. As the paper becomes wet, saturated with even little bits of saliva, it breaks down. It doesn't filter the way it's supposed to. So we're reusing those. They're definitely not, you know, we're, we're sticking to N95s because those are much better than the, the other surgical masks. Uh, but um, those are being reused. Uh, now, when we have to do particularly high-risk procedure, when I go to intubate somebody, you have my picture of me in the uh, quarantine formal. <laughs> um, I never got to go to get a real formal except to work at a, and I worked at the Academy Awards, but <laughs> that's my real formal. Um, and, and I have to be able to do CPR in them, you know. But um, the top of the quarantine formal is a, is a looks like a space person mask. And in the back of it, there's something. It's attached to a, a, a device that sucks the air back out of the mask uh, so that it doesn't get... Um, so that it doesn't get steamy, you know. I mean, we're that's that's heavy duty stuff. And if it were a, an ideal world, we'd be showering after that. But we sure. don't have time to shower after that. So, what does your typical day look like when you're seeing patients? So, my typical day, I get to work. Um, no, two weeks ago, when we came to work, they were having us get our temperature checked, and we had to have a sticker on before we went to the ER. These things are changing all the time. The more we know, the more we see the demands. So I go in, I don't have to get my temperature checked anymore. Um, uh, I, we, I go into the department, uh, put my belongings someplace where they're safe, and find my N95 for the day. And I talk to one of my colleagues, because these, our procedures are changing daily. And I ask what's the current, you know, what's our current uh, advice that we're being given in terms of uh, personal protective equipment. So we have a whole bunch of plastic gowns, and if it's a COVID risk patient particularly, we put the plastic gown, wear the N95, that kind of stuff. I, I will wear it a lot of the time, but mm -hmm. not, all, not all the time, because the more I wear it, the more it inactivates, you know, it, it makes it less efficient for that mask to be, and we have one for the day. If we run out, we can get another one. Uh, but I already know those are being used for longer than their intended use. So 
and I go see patients, you know, and we go see one or the other, and then we get, we get patients that are being brought in, they come in on their own, patients that come in by ambulance, and we get ambulance calls all day, and, and a higher percentage of the patients that we're seeing now are coming from ambulance calls rather than people that are walking in, and they're very sick, so if you are, are in the middle of something else, Part of what my work entails is who needs you now, who's crashing the fastest. So you rapidly switch from one task to another and change up your PPE if you need to add more security. Now on the subject of masks, I mean I think everybody knows by now that we're supposed to be wearing masks. I'm not sure if everybody fully understands the purpose, why it's okay to like not have maybe a hospital-grade mask, but that you still should be wearing Sure. So the whole idea of the masks has to do with how this particular virus is spread. So illnesses can be spread. This is, is a droplet spread. So what that means is that the droplets, even tiny, tiny microscopic bits of water, are, are expelled when you breathe, when you talk, even if you're not coughing or sneezing or anything like that. So in each one of those bazillion art, or, you know, droplets, even if that you can't feel them, that is where the virus lives. So it can be inhaled, it can drop from the air onto surfaces and stay on surfaces. So there's a period of time that even, say the person just coughed and walked away, there's still some particles suspended in the air that have virus in them that are in that air. So, and, and if you look at it, you know, there's, you know, the dancing, the dancing droplets, some, those you see and those you don't. Um, it's, what happens with a mask is, is the mask absorbs any kind of liquid. So not all of it, not the teenier, tinier particles, but what it does is it limits the amount of liquid or air that comes into you and that goes out to other people. So it's just decreasing probability that anything is going to be spread. It, it has it's one more trapping mechanism. So and I've heard it said. I, I've heard it's. Uh, I've heard it said that that the mask is really to protect others and not to protect yourself from getting it. Um, you know what the truth of the matter is the the mask. If it's not a real mask that has a very high degree of filtration, it's not an ideal thing to protect anybody from anybody. So yeah, if it, it because most of the most of the moisture is going to be coming out of your mouth, it does better protect keep it closer to you and protect others. Yes. Um, but I but none of them are protecting you perfectly or others perfectly. The per I mean, for sure, the people that need to wear the mask most are the people that are sick. But it's just minimizing. You know, it's it's making it a little bit better all the way around. What if I wore a motorcycle helmet with the face shield down? <laughs> ha! You know what? The I'm face serious. Shield is great. The face shield is great because it's not paper. It's not as permeable. You know, that plastic, some of the stuff we've been using at work looks like a face shield. That's way, you know, it covers the pores of your skin. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but what worries me, too, is that there's prejudice. You know, people out of their ignorance are going to mistreat those, you know, I have that are they perceive to be sick or the, who they perceive to be exposed to illness, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. And so... And I think the best thing we can do is is getting correct information out there, and which is why your time is so important. Thank you, you know, for talking to us about this stuff. What do you think about gloves? Do you think gloves are beneficial? Absolutely, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, they are because you know what happens is the stuff stays in the air for twenty minutes, maybe, but when those droplets drop down onto a surface, they are viable, depending on how porous the surface is, up to a week even. You know, I mm -hmm. mean, on porous surfaces like boxes, maybe twenty-four hours, but on on the masks inside or on you know a, a metal surface, seven to nine days. So, wow. in terms of gloves, you know, here you touch something, and you would take that little bit of virus, whatever, and you pick it up on your fingers, and that's the whole issue of do, does it get into the bloodstream through your fingers? Do you touch your face and it gets in the bloodstream that way? Um, 
so yeah, I think gloves are very important. I was curious about that because a friend of mine said he didn't understand why gloves were important because if you're as long as you don't touch your face, the virus doesn't get in you if it's just on your hands. And if you're prone to touching your face, then even if you are wearing gloves, you still touch your face, you still are at the same risk. Interesting. Well, you want to wash your hands a lot. You want to do as much protection. There's a lot of crevices on the hands, too, sure. that are not present on gloves. Hmm. So I think, you know, I think a, a, the gloves, depends on how much of the time you're going to wear the gloves. What I think about when I think about gloves is all the little cracks and crevices on the hands that, that virus can hide. Take that, Harry's friend. Yeah. <laughs> Spreading your misinformation. The doctor's here to tell us the truth. Good. Hey, I'm pro gloves. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't on board with that. With his view there. Good. No, but I like manicures, so there you go. <laughs> are there any other, uh, along with gloves, masks, and staying home, the big three? Are there other precautions people should be taking day to day? Sure. Um, drink plenty of water. Stay hydrated. Uh, that helps all your mucosal membranes to be as healthy as possible. Have good nutrition. Get get some kind of exercise. You know, all of us are under a lot of emotional, physical stress. It's not good for anybody. And, you know, we worry and we're in our heads all the time, which means that anything that we can do to get out of our heads, like exercise, like, you know, limit how much time that we watch the news, that kind of stuff. I mean, I... I if I'm going to be in the house all day, I go out and I take a walk with my mask on, uh, making, making sure to wash my hands before and after. <laughs> I do not wear gloves go for a walk. How weird. Um, but that, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think it's kind of funny when I think about wearing a mask or gloves. I'm thinking, you know, if I, I'm, get, I'm getting exposed to this stuff at work. Why should I really wear a mask in public? It's ridiculous. Right. But I wear a mask in public because I want to be part of the solution and I want to be a good, a good example for other people. And if that's what the CDC is advising, I'm going to do it. On the subject of how uh, things that we can do aside from washing our hands, drinking water, wearing masks. So COVID is from the family of cold viruses, right? It is from one of the family. There are couple, several different viruses that produce what we call the common cold. Um, and yeah, so that's so, true. It's one of them, yeah. So I had a two part question. What, like when you think of preparing it, it like when you, even in, in like the season where people are getting colds, you know, I, I, I like taking an airborne. As a yeah. medical professional, do you put any stock in things like airborne or sure? Cold? So, would following the same regimen a person takes to try to like boost their immunity, immune systems and uh, to stave off any kind of cold, is that sort of a way? one way to like be cautious about COVID? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because you want to optimize your body's defenses. Absolutely. Um, and, and the thing we can talk about in terms of common cold is common cold is what we say to put a label on groups of symptoms that occur. So, you know, runny nose, sore throat, whatever. The, the fact of the matter is a perfect accurate diagnosis is only accomplished if the thing is tested and we tend to diagnose the common cold based on groupings of symptoms both in individuals and in groups as it comes in waves so we know that coronavirus species uh, coronavirus and rhinovirus are different species of virus and they they can produce symptoms known as a common cold so this this member of the coronavirus family produces more lethal symptoms. And the fact of the matter is, even specifically influenza or influenza this year or last year or rhinovirus, common cold, there are different patterns of symptoms that can occur from the same organ. Uh, I wouldn't say it's an organism. We can call it that, but it doesn't live on its own. It's, it's isolated DNA or RNA that, that takes over your cells. So I hope that's clear enough. So where do you think we are in terms of a, of a vaccine? Right now, what they're talking about is 18 months away. I think that's realistic. 
you know, they, they, there may be some head start on it because of some work that was done on other species of other coronavirus entities before. What's the most promising is when there are people that recover from the virus and their antibodies can be isolated, that's, that's where that best stuff is going to happen. But it's, you know, definitely not less than a year away. Not less than a year away. Yeah. As a medical professional, when you see that parts of the country are starting to reopen, uh, how are you feeling? I think that we're missing a piece here of, uh, of educating the public. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's so, like everything else, you know, it's at extremes. Is it open or is it shut? What about in the middle time? And, you know, I, I think that until we know what this looks like, how it's passed, what our treatment is going to be, we have to understand that there's going to be risk with reopening. And what I notice in the in the areas that are reopening is they're reopening like either the door is closed or the door is open. They've got no other precautions. Mm-hmm. And we should be benefiting from the experience of other nations, which even in Singapore, even in, in countries in China, you know, there is a resurgence, you know, even as rigid as they were in parts of China. So it's frightening to me. And, and I, I think, you know, like anything else, sometimes we can only learn by screwing it up. Mm-hmm. And that may be what's about to happen. As that happens, um, you mentioned that right now they're, they're kind of treating it as either the door is open and the door is closed. As more and more things reopen, do you believe that we'll still continue to keep some precautions in place? Yeah, we will. We will, and I, I, I think it's going to be a very tough thing to determine what's a level of precaution that's reasonable and doesn't drive us all nuts or more nuts than we are now. Uh, I, I think part of what's going to be important is to help people know it's not going to be like this forever mm-hmm. um, and that we're not going to look like China either. That's just not the kind of bunch of nation, people of our nation are. Uh, so we're all going to be more, more cavalier and less careful than we should be. But the way I see it is that the more we know about this disease, the better we're going to be able to avoid avoid passing it. But I still see, you know, that the scary part about this disease is lots of people don't look sick. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I took care of a 19-year-old girl the other day, and when somebody gets sick, it's many times unpredictable. She was a healthy girl, not a partier, not doing drugs. Her mom had COVID. She didn't look particularly sick. And I could tell because I fortunately am observant enough to know that this was a girl who's not somebody that was going to complain and that she was being very brave. And the only thing you might see, she didn't have a fever. She had a less oxygen saturation on room air than one would predict from how sick she looked or didn't look. And I suspected there was a problem. I knew there pro- she probably had COVID because her mom did. And when I saw her x-ray, it took my breath away. And the mm-hmm. x-ray of a COVID patient, there's pneumonia everywhere, both sides. And until we know what makes somebody more susceptible, it's going to be impossible to protect people properly. You know, I don't think we need to keep people in, in effective jail to do that. But. Right. Are we still, are tests more readily available or are we still not where we need to be there? They're a bit more readily available. Um, there still needs to be, like we, initially when this started a few weeks ago, we had to call the health department to okay ordering a test. I'm now able to order a test, but I'm, because I work more, mostly nights, the night docs are all certified so that we can order it through the lab. We don't need additional paperwork. So I'm one of those doctors that can just order it and have it done. But it's done twice a day. It's done at another hospital. It takes at least 12 hours for the results to be back. So we still have to treat a patient as though we think they have COVID if we think they do. And if they're healthy enough to go home, we send them home and have them quarantine and family. But So, yeah, there's more testing, but there's definitely not enough. I mean, I, I agree with what I'm hearing that until we have the ability to test large bunches of people everywhere, 
particularly when you hear on, on when you hear about oh well this state doesn't have that many cases compare that against how much testing was done in that state they're not going to have cases if nobody's testing to find them mm -hmm. I think this kind of um, leads into another question we wanted to ask you about we always like to talk about a, a hot button subject that's going on in the field right now and uh, normally we're a little more lighthearted about it but this is a very serious topic and um, you know, we, we really want to know. Right now, one of the big things we keep hearing about is the U.S. government has temporarily halted funding to the World Health Organization right now. And um, I think you had some really interesting perspective on that. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I, it's wrong. I mean, this is something that's affected the whole world. And we have some organizations uh, that are involved in a, in, a in a cooperative effort over the whole world. Now, I, what, what disturbs me is that when we retreat from partnership, then we don't have the communication from the other countries. Our support of something like the World Health Organization helps to keep the communication going. It also helps to help the countries that are too poor to do the kind of studying and care that we do. I mean, I, I think that to say that we're all alone on the planet, which is what that's trying to say, is really a dangerous perspective. Um, I also heard, too, I mean, there are other countries following suit. I believe it was Japan that I saw yesterday. You know, people that are going to take the lead of, well, the U.S. isn't doing it, so we're not going to do it either. So that's not to say that I... I, I know a whole lot about World Health Organization. I don't. Mm -hmm. But what I and and it's not to say that they haven't. You know, I have heard that there's been some errors or delays on their part. But if we look at the history of the World Health Organization, especially with their ex with experiencing other pandemics and Ebola and and whatever, I'm not as familiar as I should be with what the World Health Organization has done. But I think it's I think it's a mistake. And I think something like the United States taking away funding is going to kill it. It'll be gone. And But, I mean, medically, you feel like the sharing of information by being part of this organization is far outweighs any of the, you know, the mistakes and things that they've made along the way. Absolutely. I think that's fair to say. Just as an aside, uh, when I first heard, you know, about how important the work is of the WHO, I was like, yeah, I mean, Baba O'Reilly really inspired generations. Harry, if we did this whole thing for a who joke, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to ruin social distancing to come fight you. Oh, my God. Mostly because you got to the joke before I did, so... Well done. Oh, my God. Um, Dr. Wesley, I, I know your time is really valuable. I want to ask you one more important question, and then we'll let you get out of here. Um, when someone starts experiencing symptoms, thinks they might be ill, what recommendations do you have? I know, like, the CDC has a symptom checker and things of that nature. What do you yep. tell people? What I tell people is that the, the things that should make you go to the emergency department right away is if you're having difficulty breathing or if you feel weak. You know, I think like any other time, if you have difficulty breathing that's brought on by exertion, chest pain that's brought on by exertion, heaviness, weakness all over that kind of stuff. I mean, we don't want you to wait till you think you have COVID-19 to go to the emergency department. But the, the, the thing that happens with COVID-19 is that the pattern that a lot of people are seeing, somebody's sick for a week with just kind of feeling yucky, maybe a fever, maybe achy. But what starts to happen is difficulty breathing. And when somebody has difficulty breathing that's, that's progressing, that's different than anything they've had before, that's worse, they need to get to a doctor right away, meaning emergency room um, or rapid care center as much as possible. Now, that, that's, not to, that's not to say that you need a test. It's important to know that the, the purpose of the test is not for determining what kind of treatment you get. The patient with the positive COVID test is going to get the same treatment as a patient with a negative COVID test. Mm -hmm. It's just a way for you to know that you cannot uh, spread it to other people. The other thing is having a positive test is not going to predict for us, and we're not waiting for a positive test to treat patients. So what we look for is difficulty breathing. And what I would, what would want people to look for at home is exactly that. That we know 
is a sign of the illness that's a dangerous sign. But anything that is uncomfortable, that you don't feel that you know how to take care of at home, that you feel that urgency about, you know, it's that's that's what the medical establishment is here for. Dr. Wesley, obviously, you know, we're going through a really serious time right now. But what, just to end things on a positive note, what are you optimistic about? What I'm optimistic about is this, of all things, is something that's united us. This is non, it, it has no racial bias, it has no political bias, it has no national bias. And what I see in terms of people working together for a common purpose is something that just makes my heart swell. You know, I think people are open, more open to education than I've ever seen them. And people work together. I mean, I, I really, that's something that has it shows the sophistication of our society more than anything and it's really I, I mean except for all those weirdos who are holding toilet paper you know hoarding <laughs> <laughs> they're just weird tell them not to go to the ER agreed uh, Dr. Wesley also you share a ton of great information on your YouTube channel Dr. Ellen's Best Medicine um, you also are a stand-up comedian as a hobby which is something that Harry and I might know a little bit about as well um, so we're very excited for people to be able to uh, to find you and follow along um, tell us again Dr. Ellen's Best Medicine is the YouTube channel that is exactly it. Dr. Ellen's Best Medicine, I'm making videos um, to and learning how to edit them, so they may be, sometimes they're a little, I have to take them down and fix them up, but um, <laughs> Me too. to show people, you know, what to do at home, I, you know, I like what you guys are doing, I think, and it's so wonderful what you're doing, because the more good information we get out there and the more we become a reliable source, the less crazy panic there's going to be. If people know where to turn to get the truth, it's going to help a lot. So yeah, that that's my. I've done segments on uh, when to worry, um, whether or not to wash your wash your boxes, that kind of stuff. What COVID feels like when you're sick. Um, also, mental health during you know quarantine and all that jazz. So anything I can think of that I will help people, you know, give people peace is what I put up. Awesome. And if people want to reach out to you. Um, uh, obviously, if they want to look for that content, the YouTube channel is where to go. If people want to reach out with any questions, um, any social media handles or anything you want to plug? Sure, absolutely. Um, I have a special page on Facebook, Comedy for Community. Um, also, my Instagram is at Betsy Ellen Wesley, all in word. Perfect. Awesome. Again, I know uh, you're back uh, on the front lines tonight, so thank yep. you again for all you're doing, and uh, we'll let you get out of here. But, uh, Dr. Wesley, we really appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. Thanks for what you're doing, and thanks for having me. All right, we got a lot of good information out of the doctor there, uh, including the fact that your sources are wrong. How does that feel? <laughs> what do you mean? When uh, I'm just kidding. Your, your uh, friend's thoughts about the gloves. I'm goofing around. But we got a lot of good inf information out of that there. Uh, any takeaways for you? Well, it was just really interesting to hear uh, her concern about, you know, because I've been, I've been seeing on the news about how Florida has opened up its beaches, and I've been wondering... Um, you know, is that a good idea? Should, is it a little? Is it too soon? You know. I, I think it's just like she said. It's just kind of the whole. It's just open again. There's no like middle ground. That's the uh, that's the scary part out there. But um, I don't know. I thought it was really interesting to uh, to learn a little bit more about why people should wear masks. It's not necessarily for them. It's to protect other people. And hopefully, stuff like that going on, those people are still wearing masks and uh, still trying to protect others. How do you guys feel about, what do you guys think that the rollout's going to be, like in terms of comedy? How do you think this affects comedy once people start going out again? It's going to be a real long time. Um, I think that you're not going to be able to pack tables in close together. You know, everything's going to be a little more spread out. It's going to be different, man. It's going to be different for a while. James, what do you think? You're on the production side. Um, I mean, I don't know. Because I, I feel like people, I know that there are clearly people who want to go back out of the world because they're, you know... Right. They're filling up capital steps, and they're going to beaches, and they're they're doing everything they can to get out. So it it'll for sure take time, but I'm trying to be optimistic. I think I think there's hope, and uh, you know, let's say let's say December, December we'll start seeing a little bit more normalcy, maybe for wow. for stand up and uh, and theater and stuff like that. Honestly, I'd be great with that. I think it's a little sooner yeah. than I've thought. I was thinking even sooner than that. Maybe I'm maybe I'm way too optimistic. For sure, people will be going out. 
before yeah. then, but normalcy, like like when people are like comfortable to be like, oh, there's people around me, and I'm not like looking around and reach for my mask. Like maybe <laughs> December, maybe. I've spent all this time bitching about like YouTube stars, you know, performing at comedy clubs, and meanwhile now this happens, and all of a sudden every stand-up comedian is going out and trying to act like a YouTube star. <laughs> like we're all out. <laughs> I'm buying a green screen. What the hell's happening to me? Yeah. There's no integrity left. See, I've been torn between whether, like, once the economy reopens, whether people will go out in droves because we're allowed to now, or whether it'll be, like, very, people will be very cautious. And so even though the comedy club is open, you know, like Jim, you said, we're not going to fill all the tables, or we're even going to purposely keep tables empty so that people are still apart from each other, even though we're out like, I spit sometimes when I'm doing stand-up. Oh, Jesus. I, feel, I mean, everyone does, right? I feel like we're going to have, like, a Gallagher-level splash zone before <laughs> we can do anything. I mean, seriously, you are talking for a very long time into a microphone. People are going to be holding plastic bags. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's, already, it's already hard enough to get people to sit in the front. So, <laughs> Right? Now, and, and getting people to share tables is yeah. going to be... Before, it was like, sorry, it's all we got. Now, people will be like, they can use this as a reason. So uh, we're definitely going to see some changes to normalcy. Yeah. So. Here's one thing I know about comedy is that when it reopens, there's going to be nothing but coronavirus jokes for at least the first six months, and it's oh. going to drive me crazy. <laughs> I feel like you have to, but I don't ever plan to say the word. Like I'm serious. Like I, I what you are you have to call talk it? about. What are you going to call it? I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the Rona. I'm not going to be one of those dudes either. I'm just saying. But like you have to talk about your life through it. Like yeah. I like I don't want coronavirus jokes. But we're going to need to talk about what we just came through. Yeah. Right. You can't just go back into. Well, I was at the mall seven months ago. Like you can't do that. <laughs> Everything's going to have to shift a little bit. I think adaptability is going to be key when this comes out of it. Yeah. So I was recently staring out of my window and. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, all right, fellas, uh, another good episode. I appreciate you guys' uh, effort, and uh, I don't know what I'm saying. Let's wrap this up. We're 23 for 23. <laughs> <laughs> we sure are, buddy. <laughs> We sure are. <laughs> All right, Harry James. Uh, if you guys are enjoying the show, again, reviews. Please uh, subscribe, download the episodes, leave us reviews on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hit us up on social media. Uh, thank you guys for listening. For Harry and James at the People of Comedy Network Studios, I'm Jim Flanagan. This is what do we know? Teenage Wasteland. Goodbye. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs>